welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. This is episode number 131. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we have Kevin Rakestraw. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing all right. I finally, I finally got over the last podcast. Okay. Does that happen to you? Like we no. record? Oh, uh, okay. Just mean. What do you mean? Right. What do you mean? Well, we record, and then for like the next like four or five days, I just feel awful about myself. Because I realize everything that I said, and I'm like, oh shit, other people are going to hear that. And then I go into this like stupor, and then I break myself out of it, and then it's time to record again. And you're just going to do it all <laughs> over again. Well, you didn't say anything bad it's a, last it's a, week, though. It's a, it's a fun cycle. Are you referring to your, your comments on boyhood? Everything. <laughs> everything. Mm. All of it. All of it. Yeah. All right, well, let's see how this let's, one goes. Let's do it let's, again. Let's see what you say about the movies this week. All right. This week on the show, we'll be getting Film Pulse contributor Ernie Trinidad back on the show for a review of Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. We'll also be taking a look at the quirky comedy Frank starring Michael Fassbender. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First, let's talk about something we've been watching. Um... It's your turn to kick it off, Kevin, but I really quickly want to plug a TV show. I know we don't do this a lot, but I started watching The Nick, the oh, Steven yeah? Soderbergh I haven't, get, I haven't gotten to see that yet. It is awesome. Is it? Highly recommend this show. So if you're not familiar with it, it stars Clive Owen, and it takes place in 1900 in New York, and it focuses on the medical practices that took place specifically with surgery back then. And it is that show. It's intense. Is it? It is uh, hard to watch at times because it, when they show the surgery, it looks like real surgery. They're just cutting up people. It is. Yeah. It's intense for the sake uh, of art. But the one thing that I think most people will notice about it right off the bat is the music, first of all, Cliff Martinez, and it's a oh boy, it is like a synth score. It's like this kind of eighty sounding synth score, oh boy. but it, it's a show that takes place in nineteen hundred. So it's like it doesn't fit, but at the same time, it fits perfectly. I love it, and the choice to do that is a very interesting one. Mm-hmm. And the way I, that it's sh- it's shot too, it's uh, they use a lot of like handheld camera work and stuff. It's fantastic. Highly recommend. I look forward to this. Yeah, I think you're gonna like it. I have a feeling I will. So I only saw the first two episodes. There's three out now. I think Soderbergh. I think he directed the first two. I don't know if he directed the third one. I don't know how many of them he's gonna do. But yeah, definitely recommend that one. So. What have you uh, watched this week, Kevin? Oh, I watched Locke. I saw Locke, too. Did you see Locke? I did, yeah. Ooh, what did you think? Because this is your type of movie, right? You like these. I do, I do. And I did like Locke. I had some issues with it. And the whole time, or especially after I finished watching it, I was wondering to myself, why is this such a big deal? Like, I feel <laughs> this is... Landed on people's top 10 lists. They're saying it's one of the best movies of the year. And the only thing I could think of is that people are really buying into this gimmick where it's 
just him in a car talking on the phone. Yeah, I I don't know why. And it, that didn't. <laughs> I don't. It didn't really work for me. No, not at all. I thought that the way that they did it was really well done because I thought that they they did they did a lot with a little in that movie. They did. It was they very did. it was very suspenseful at times. How he was getting like multiple calls in at once, and he was just trying to juggle that while driving. And it was like at times it did get very tense, but at the same time, a lot of it I thought was like the whole time I was thinking. Why didn't you handle all this stuff earlier in the day or you know if this project is that important this is this is like a monumental project that he's doing yeah why yeah. would you wait till I don't know. eight nine o'clock at night the the night before yeah. to check all this stuff and make sure that everything's working? I also didn't understand uh, maybe it's a spoiler um there's no spoilers to this. I didn't I didn't really understand why they fired him like because he left work. I didn't Dude, it's the biggest poor. It's the <laughs> biggest poor ever. Okay. Which was my uh... main problem. The way that they discuss concrete in this movie is just I couldn't stop laughing the whole time. Like to me he was like Hank Hill talking about propane except <laughs> that he's talking about concrete. You know when he's like having those discussions with his workmate and he's like do it for the concrete and i'm just like oh my goodness are you kidding me and then the whole the the back seat that was my he was one of my <laughs> biggest issues oh boy one of my biggest issues with, with the movie oh, was the whole God. him talking to his his father in the back seat who wasn't there as soon as that happened i was just like what what's going on here what is this what is this what are you doing and then they kept doing it. Yeah, I didn't think that we needed it. No, you, you know, you didn't. I, I, we, I feel like we, by the end of the movie, we understand enough about this guy that we didn't need that. No, it just to it, explore that relationship with his father. Even there's a line that he says near the end of the movie about how he's a lock and he's going to give this kid the lock name and it's, he's he's uh, he, he making it. the name right yeah. and all that stuff. They they could have just left that in, and then we'd under we'd understand that yeah. you know his father. But was... no, they just they kept pressing that hard, and then all the concrete metaphors just <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. I couldn't handle it. And it's not, I mean, to me, it wasn't a good film. I couldn't, I didn't, st- I couldn't stand it. And I mean, it kept me intrigued in the sense that I kept watching, like on the edge of my seat, thinking, well, there's got to be more to this. Like, people really losing their shit about this movie. There's got to be more. But there wasn't. There was nothing. It was One shit. thing I thought that they oh. were going to do at the end, that they, I thought for sure, like, he's going to get in a car accident, or there's going to be some big thing where he gets out of the car at the end. <laughs> like, I thought that, that for sure that was going to happen. And I, I think a part of it is it's not really Stephen Knight's fault. The writer director, I think it's more the marketing of this film because it was kind of marketed as like a thriller. It was, yeah, it was marketed as a thriller. And within the first like 10 minutes, everything's revealed. So you're like, okay, so how are you going to maintain my interest for the next hour and five minutes or hour and 15 minutes? Like, what's the thrilling aspect of this movie? It's the calls, man. It's It's just rapid calls. 
it's like him having a bad day and he handles it terribly and he's obsessed with getting to the hospital for some reason or another well he's trying to be there i know because he wants to be the c6 he doesn't want to be the c5 concrete get it Mm -hmm. concrete it's all about concrete do it for the concrete you can't trust god with concrete good lord this was a huge disappointment i would say it was a disappointment for me as well i still liked it yeah i gave it a three i think the the only thing i enjoyed was the hardy's performance but even his even his voice was a bit odd at times yeah, I yeah. But he did a he he did a pretty solid job for what you know he was given the material that he had. I mean, trying to sell the shit out of those lines, those concrete lines, and those one sided dialogues with his ghost dad. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, ghost on. dad, ghost dad. Oh boy, not a fan, not a fan. Yeah, uh, I again, I liked it. wasn't a huge fan of it. But it's it's interesting, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't sell have a lot to sell it, buddy. I I can't. I'm not even gonna try to sell this movie. I, a lot of people seem to love it. That's that's they what do. I'll say. They do, they do. And this is the type of movie that I like, where it's completely focused on the characters, the relationships of the characters, and the arc that the characters take. But I just didn't feel like it. There just wasn't enough meat on the bone there. No. No. And the silly things that they added in with the ghost dad and stuff like that, I was not <laughs> thrilled about. And I really wasn't thrilled with the look of it either. I didn't. No, that was another was, the huge thing that I had a problem with. It's just the same visuals over and yeah, over. Yeah, it's just like over again. Know, camera one, camera two, yeah. camera three, and camera one. Superimposed taillights over his face. Let's pull out and take a look at the traffic back inside. It's like, oh, <laughs> take, a, take a look at Ghost Dad in the back seat. There wasn't a lot that they could do. No, there's not. With that, but... I, I think that they could have gone way worse with it. Like if they used different filters or something or there, there's a lot of things that they could have done to make it worse mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, definitely. So I will still give it a light recommend. I enjoyed it i just didn't think it just wasn't what i expected it to be and the end didn't really the end really didn't do it for me either no no not at all i just wanted a little bit more something i just wanted something yeah and i and i got nothing except concrete metaphors it also seemed really convenient that the calls would come in as soon as oh, he was. Oh, man! It was just so perfect the timing of when he would call people and when people would call him. But again, I will I will reiterate. I feel like this whole movie didn't need to exist because if he he's the superstar concrete guy, superstar. He's, he's the big man. He is the man when it comes to concrete. Dude, he is concrete. What, why wouldn't he get all this stuff straightened out before he left work? I know, he seems kind of unprofessional, if you ask me. I mean, he's having <laughs> dudes run, run down yeah, the road I mean, to try was, to flag down other was, people. and That was a ridiculous, ridiculous development. Like, you're the big shot concrete man, and you're like, okay, you have to run down to the side of the road, ask for this guy, and he'll fix everything. It's just like, come on. Yeah, 
mm-hmm. I saw one that I do recommend oh. that I liked quite a bit was World's Greatest Dad. Finally saw this. You find, you haven't seen this? No, no. We talked about it a long time ago on the show, and I said I don't that I've been meaning to see it, and I just never got around to it. Well, I finally did. I don't remember things that we talk about. This is definitely my kind of movie. This is this is right up there for you. I like very dark comedies, and I like Bobcat Goldthwaite's movies as well. This was definitely one that was difficult to watch after the passing of Robin Williams. Now, I knew what the movie was about, and I knew what happens in the movie, mm-hmm. but it was still it was still tough. You know, it was still tough to see that, even though it was in in the movie, it was his son who hung himself. I don't know if that's a spoiler or not, but uh, it was still tough you know, to watch. It's Yeah, I would imagine. I think it's that diff- this was one of the best performances I've ever seen Robin Williams in. I loved his kind of quiet, understated personality in this movie. I, I love the fact that he didn't like his son. <laughs> yeah, well, like, yeah that, you, don't, I mean, that, you don't really see that in movies. People well, and, and, not liking their children. Right. And if your son acts like his son in this movie, you wouldn't oh, like him. Yeah. It'd be impossible no. to like him because he was the worst person in the entire world. And I do love how in death he basically turned his son into him. How he how he liked Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> I love the whole Bruce Hornsby thing. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> I forgot Bruce Hornsby. Uh, yeah. Uh, so it is. It is a very dark comedy, though. Oh, it's it's very... it's one of those movies where you laugh, but you don't think you should be laughing. It's a very uncomfortable movie, Correct. but it's great. Highly recommend it. And this is on Netflix Instant. So oh, it is. To watch, yeah. Ooh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I might have to revisit that one. I don't know I if just... I want to though. Yeah. Yeah. It might be a bit too dark. It is very dark. I wish the they had a better poster for this. Because oh, yeah, the poster the... is the worst thing ever, and it doesn't fit the movie at all. And it's all all the posters. All the posters are bad for I don't understand. I just I don't understand. I feel like they could have come up with... You know, it would be great if they just used the book cover. Because, you know, that, that was the other thing. Like, his son hated that picture of him. And he looked like such a prick in the picture, too. And then when they came, he came out with the book, they used that picture as the cover of the book. I think it'd be funny if they used the book cover to be the movie cover, but they'd never do that. Hmm. Oh, I watched your next. Finally got around to some your next. Huh? I, I got around to this. I don't know why I watched this. I don't. I don't know why. I think I did it for you. I think <laughs> oh, this was. Okay. I think this was for you because I figured that you would actually, you know. You'd have something to say about this one, or me watching it at least. But I, these types of uh, slasher films, or you know, people being murdered one by one, I can't. I have a really difficult time watching these. They're just so disturbing to me. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I like slashers quite a bit. I don't. I, for whatever reason, I'm just. It's really unsettling to me. To watch an entire movie of people just being murdered. Yeah. But that's just me. That's just me. I like slashers when they do something 
or at least when they try something different. And I feel like that Year Next did go into some interesting places with the girl being a badass. <laughs> I did enjoy that. That was good times. And I like the comedy in Your Next. The, it was a very I en- was, I enjoyed the comedy a lot in the beginning, especially with the bickering between well, yeah. the brothers and everything. I thought that that was fantastic and the whole, you know, they're being murdered and they're still bickering. Mm-hmm. And how Amy Amy Seismitz is like, you guys never believe in me. I run the fastest. And then they do that whole build up to it. And just and then it ends so abruptly and horribly. I love the the scene when she's running out the front door. <laughs> yeah. I love that scene. How they do the slow motion <laughs> yeah. there and they ramp it up and she's like cracking her neck and she just starts running and you know it's gonna end terribly. Oh, of course. You're just wondering <laughs> yeah. how. How is it yeah. going to end? And wow, does it end? So I I enjoyed that stuff. But then it kind of just disappears for long stretches. Like the comedy just goes away. Well, And it's played happened? really seriously. And yeah. then when it crops back up, you know, when the dark humor comes back, it kind of feels out of place because they waited too long almost. At least that's how it was for me. What, what happens in this one and any kind of horror movies that inject comedy it's sort of the same thing with action comedies where it's difficult i think it's difficult to find a balance yeah. between the two things because <clears throat> this is a horror movie and it is designed to be unsettling and scare you and that's difficult to do if they're cracking jokes and making you laugh you know sure. it i think that adam weingard was trying to make a fun movie but he was also trying to get under your skin and maybe scare you a little bit at the same time. And I think that that's what makes this movie work. I don't think everything worked no. in this movie. I knew I called the uh, the end way before it happened. I was actually surprised by the end end. Like, I knew the first one right off the bat because it's just the way they make those characters look is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Just like her whole attitude. You're just like, oh, come on. You can see that coming from a mile away. But I yep. did I did not see the ending. I did not see that coming. So I enjoyed that. It's not often that I get like genuinely surprised. I think that this is just... A, comparing it to other slasher movies, modern slasher movies, I feel like this one is, is way above well, it's much, what we've been seeing recently. It's much better than anything else I've seen of Weingard directorial-wise. Which is odd. This is two weeks in a row that I'm saying nice things. I know. I, I'm kind of speechless. This is this is crazy. Now you'll have to see the guest when it comes out. I'm I'm kind of interested in that one now. I did uh, Weinberg or Swanberg. Yeah, Weinberg. Swanberg. <laughs> that, that's what? wow. <laughs> this crazy amalgamation between Joe Swanberg and Adam Weingard. <laughs> Weinberg. Uh, Swanberg is the epitome. Of a smug dick older brother in this movie. I love this. <laughs> Especially so... when he shows up in a fucking turtleneck. Yeah. You're like, oh, god damn it. I can't wait. I can't wait until you get it. And the same goes for Ty West. When he shows up with that scarf, I'm just mm-hmm. like, yeah. <laughs> you, I want you to be the first one. And then you know what happens? He's the first fucking one. <laughs> yeah. I kind of wanted to, I wanted him to last a little bit longer. 
And it's because as soon as he gets hit, I'm just like, yeah, that's what you get for wearing a fucking scarf. <laughs> Uh, did you did you catch uh, Calvin at the end? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I liked his I liked his reaction after yeah. shooting her. Oh boy, it was it was kind of fun. I I they they relied a bit too much on the slow motion. How they would they would, they would always go they would ramp it up with the slow motion. They used that a bit too much, but I did love the the basement scene with the camera. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that one. That was my favorite part of the whole thing. And then it just got silly with blenders. <laughs> Everything gets silly. I'm I'm really interested to see what Adam Weingard's got up his sleeve next. Because I think that, say what you will about his movies, they may not be the best movies ever. But he's always trying something different. Not, well, when not you, always. See, that was my I, biggest problem with him. I mean, it, it's Granted, this is based on limited knowledge and uh, exposure to his work. But... That's what always uh, turned me off to him is because people would say that and then I watch his work and I'm like, this isn't different, but this is a little bit different. I like this. You should watch A Horrible Way to Die. That was, I think, maybe his one of his very first, no, not his first movie, but it was one of his earlier ones. That definitely tries something different as well. <laughs> it doesn't work. Oh, I, was just remember, I just remembered something. Just their little the discussion about... Ty West's character being a being a filmmaker. <laughs> it's someone for talking about commercials. That's the only reason I watch TV. It's for the commercials. <laughs> what is it? It's an underground film festival. Do they show the movies underground? Is that what they do? Oh boy. So it seems like you you were I, for the most part I enjoyed liked it. it. For the yeah. most part, yeah. But I don't know. I'm I just really have a tough time watching those types of movies. Well, there you go. I think that's uh, as best of a recommendation that we, <laughs> yeah. that we could hope for. That's, <laughs> that's as good as it's going to get, okay? And this is actually, this popped up on Netflix Instant. That's why I was like, well, you're making it easy for me. I guess I'll watch it. I want to re uh, I think I'll rewatch that this weekend because I've been meaning to see it. I haven't seen it since it was in the theater. So I think I'll be checking that out. I saw one that I highly recommend. Another highly recommended one. This is Night Moves, directed oh. by Kelly Reichardt. Oh, you're usually not a fan of her. Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I liked Wendy and Lucy a lot. Oh, okay. Ooh. And that's the only other movie I saw by <laughs> from her, so... Never mind. <laughs> I didn't see Old Joy or Meek's Cutoff. Uh, but yeah, I liked Wendy, Wendy and Lucy a whole lot. So anyway, this movie... Judging from the trailer, it seems like this would be kind of a departure from her. Because when you look at her, the, the other movies that she made, they're very slow. They're very quiet, sparse movies. And the trailer for this kind of makes it out to be somewhat of a thriller. And, you know, you got these eco-terrorists doing stuff. But really, when you watch it, it is this very slow burn thriller. Okay. That doesn't mean it's bad by any means. It's different than I thought it would be in tone, but it worked completely. And I mean, there's some fantastic performances here. Jesse Eisenberg is great in it. Very, He's very soft-spoken. There's not a lot of dialogue in this movie. A lot of it is done uh, very... I keep wanting to say sparse, but that's really what it is. <laughs> Just keep saying the word sparse. Yeah. 
So basically, it's about a group of environmentalists that decide to do something very bad, I guess. Is that... Oh, yeah. uh, do we know what they do? Is that a spoiler to say what they're are they trying like, to do? Are they bl- trying to blow up a dam or something? Yeah, they, so they, they want to blow up a dam. And blow that dam up. The movie starts... There's no, there's no setup. There's no like character introduction, really. It basically just starts with the three of them... Jesse Eisenberg, Dakota Fanning, and Peter Sarsgaard uh, carrying out this plot to blow up this dam. And the majority of the movie is what happens after they attempt to do this. And it's really just, it's almost like a psychological horror movie in a way where they're trying to come to terms with what happens and they're becoming paranoid uh, Jesse Eisenberg especially is starting to become paranoid about the others and he's trying to move on and and act normal like as if this didn't happen but he can he keeps keeps him up at night he's obsessing over it and it's just kind of the way that it's presented is so interesting and fascinating and how these characters are affected by this uh, event. Hmm. I can't wait to see this one. I'm it a, looks I'm a, great I'm too. A big fan of her work. Yeah, I think that you'll definitely like this. It feels more accessible than what I would imagine her other movies are. Yeah. Like I said, I've only seen Wendy and Lucy, but I would not say that that's a very accessible movie. No. No. <laughs> yeah, the other ones aren't that much more accessible. But I would highly suggest uh, Old Joy. If you liked Wendy and Lucy, I think you'll you'll enjoy Old Joy. I like that the plot keywords for this on IMDb is explosion. That makes sense. Environmentalist, again, makes sense. Hydroelectric dam. Dam, again. It's really strong on dams. And then at the end, it's just bare breasts. Bare breasts. Like, that just seems... I don't even recall seeing any bare breasts in this movie. There's one scene when he goes to uh, this kind of commune and there are some women in a jacuzzi and you and you well, can see their go. breasts. See, but it's you like, missed something because this is no, this is a this is a just such a small a keyword, dude. Little throwaway yeah, it scene. It's a huge part. It's a huge part. Hmm. You missed the something. performance in this performances in this felt very natural very improvised almost i mean it probably wasn't but the conversations between all the different characters feel very natural and i like how it ends too it it ends in a very some people may say anticlimactic but it's one of those that just bam credits you know one of those deals and it, mm. it goes places that I did not expect at all. It was a very surprising movie in, in what happens. I thought that the whole movie would be about them meeting each other, getting to know each other, planning this big thing, you know, lots of montage scenes of them looking at blueprints of the dam and whatnot and picking up the stuff. And there's a very little bit of that at the be- at the beginning of the movie. But... Yeah. oh. Now, the the only worry that I have about this movie, and let me know if this is in there, I'm just afraid that it might be, like, too preachy almost. No, no. About, like, the environments? Well, that, no, you know, that? I, didn't, I didn't think so but, at all. 
I didn't think so at all. It, in fact, it, it kind of it's because he works. Jesse Eisenberg works at a co-op, and he lives there too. And the night after they do their thing, there's a discussion at the dinner table in, in the morning about what happened. And the one guy that runs the co-op says some really interesting things about about it. And I, I don't feel like it's preachy. I mean, the the thing is, okay. you are dealing with the characters being activists. So there is kind of, yeah. you know, people that hate hippies are probably going to have a problem with it, but <laughs> I'm sure they're lining up to see it. Oh yeah. This is their kind of movie, but I'm sure, oh, I'm sure man. you're going to be seeing this anyway. So we'll, we'll talk more about Definitely. it after you see it. Cause like there's Definitely. a lot of stuff that we can get into with this one. Ooh, the only other movie I saw is The Passion of Joan of Arc from 1928, the silent film classic from Dreyer, which some people say is the greatest film ever made. And I have to agree with that, because holy shit, this movie is unbelievable. The The woman who plays Joan of Arc, uh, Falconetti, she's not really... A movie actress this is like really the only film she was ever in and she just it's one of the greatest performances i've ever seen <clears throat> and she just owns this movie and the other crazy thing is the cinematography in this for 1928 they just go they just go everywhere with it i mean there's there's dolly work everything's done in extreme close-ups there's a they play with light and shadows, the interesting framing choices that they use. They film from, like, every conceivable angle that you can think of. I mean, and then he does all this experimental stuff with it where there's, like, a torture wheel that this guy is spinning. And he's spinning it faster and faster and faster, and the camera's just stuck on it. And it's this wheel with spikes on the end of it, and it's just spinning around and around and around. And then at one point, the camera just whips down and, like, follows the path of the wheel. Just for like a second, but it's just it's crazy that the way that they did this, and then they have like the camera swinging on like a pendulum. It's just, and for nineteen twenty-eight, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's just constant, nonstop, interesting camera work throughout the entire film. Hmm. So there I've you seen go. Clips of this over the years, and I've read about it in, in like film books, but I never never saw it. Well, you should. You should do that. Now, I watched the uh, the completely silent version, but I have heard that the other version with uh, like a, the score, I think it's called Voices of Light. That's supposed to that's supposed to be really good. So I think I might have to check that one out. I don't know if I could sit there and watch a movie that's completely silent. Oh, you should. You should. Now, it, it, there is a problem. That when I watch silent films by myself, I tend to like fill in the dialogue mm. myself with funny voices for some reason. I don't know why I do that. I think everybody does. And I felt that. like an ass. I felt like an asshole doing it during this movie, but I did it anyways. So my apologies to the Passion of Joan of Arc. Hmm. Sorry for adding funny voices to your film. Now is this on Netflix or what? This is on uh, Hulu okay. Plus, so yeah. Passion Joan of Arc, catch it on Hulu Plus. Unbelievable! It's not often that these old films, you know, they have all this hype, live up to them. But holy shit, 
This one like surpasses the hype. Interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I don't have anything else, so let's go ahead and move on. All right. Let's talk about Sin City, a Dame to Kill for. Ernie, welcome back to the show. How you doing, sir? Oh, glad to be back. I'm doing good. How are you, sir? I'm doing pretty well. All right, so we uh, got a synopsis here. Some of Sin City's most hard-boiled citizens cross paths with a few of its more reviled inhabitants. This is directed by Frank Miller and Robert Rodriguez. Uh, stars a ton of people. Pretty much everybody in this movie is somebody. There's like there's very few no-name people in this. We have Mickey Rourke, Jessica Alba, Josh Brolin, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Rosario Dawson, Bruce Willis, Ava Green, Powers Booth, Dennis Haysbert, Ray Liotta, Christopher Maloney, Jeremy Piven, Christopher Lloyd, who I didn't know was in this until I saw it, uh, Janie, Jamie King, Juno Temple, the list goes on and on. Pretty much St- 95% of everyone that was in Sin City 1. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, Stacey Keach is in it. Lady Gaga is in it for some reason. I don't. I even remember seeing her in there. Yeah, she was the she was the waitress in the oh, okay. one scene with yeah, Joseph yeah. Gordon Levitt. Alright. She gives him the dollar. Right. Yep. So I have a review for this up on the site. So we'll start with you, Ernie. What did you think of Sin City a Dame to Kill for? Um nine years is too long to wait for a sequel and I was kind of worried about it the closer it got to get coming out and unfortunately it simply does not live up to the original at all. I mean, there are plenty of good elements. It's visually, stylistically, and the look of it is completely the same. That's exactly Sin City, but it's just the stories themselves that aren't as engaging as the original. And I had the opportunity to see the original again in the theater last week, and um, with everything fresh in my mind as to the events of the first Sin City, and now looking at Sin City 2, it's just... uh, Pardon the pun, both black and white. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I agree with you completely. This didn't hold up to the original in any way. Again, the the visual style it looks great. The movie looks fantastic, and it's such a unique look too. There's just no other movie. I mean, you want you might want to count the spirit in there, but that was such a shitty disaster that <laughs> no one should should include that. Uh, it's kind of a guilty pleasure for me. <laughs> with this, with this one, it looks amazing. It's just such a unique vision, but th- the story and the characters are not there in this one. The first one was so interesting because it was this—we never see anything like it. It was this hard-boiled yeah. uh, neo-noir crime thriller, and it had all these really colorful characters and like people. It was just so weird, some of it, and it blended elements of like a, a classic noir with this comic book feel where some of the characters were not necessarily human, you know, <laughs> they were just they're these kind of weird. And with this one, it's like they just it's just not there. The stories in this are pretty bland and extremely repetitive and boring. I thought that this movie was so repetitive. Mm. It was like, so there's three stories in this three, three main stories. And like the, the original one there, there's multiple plots that interconnect and the characters interact with each other and they each have their own little 
trials and tribulations that they're going through. But with this one, it was just like we just kept seeing the same thing over and over again. It was driving me crazy. Like, how many times did we see a Jessica Alba striptease in this movie? And I'm not complaining about a Jessica Alba striptease, but it's like we get it. She's a stripper. You know, yeah. why do we have to keep seeing it? I mean, there was at least four of them in this movie. And well, then there it's not was that the... each one was the same. It's like she was different in some degree, just getting more, yeah. more violent and uh, right. um, but self-destructive. That's true, yes. But I still didn't think it was necessary because it just felt grating to me. Also, the there were so many shots of the car winding through the road. Like, they did that a few times in the in the first one and it looks cool but in this one it was like mm-hmm. it just felt like they're beating a dead horse and also the the action in this movie while some of it some of the action scenes I thought were good it felt pretty uninspired to me there were so many scenes of people getting arrows shot through them yeah. in this one it was like it was like nonstop it felt like we were in the Hunger Games or something it was just arrows arrows flying everywhere and that got old to me as well. Uh, the interesting thing for me was that uh, in the, A Dean to Kill For, the main focus of the uh, of this new one, um, the parts with Miho, which she's meant to be a badass and just like killing henchmen left and right, on film, eh, all right. But the same problem I had with the original 300 was that what I read in Frank Miller's graphic novel couldn't compare the the film couldn't compare to the way that thing formulated in my mind and how everything looked and how everything came off and i remember reading that part of the name to kill for in the graphic novel and i couldn't wait to see the scene with Miho. she was just like totally like barreling over him i was like i can't wait to see this on film can't wait to see this on film but when i was on film like eh. now it's been many years since i've read the graphic novels and i did read the whole series but and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like in this one, they deviate away from the graphic novels quite a bit more than they did in the first one. The first one was pretty much panel for panel yeah. the, what happened in the graphic novels. I mean, there were actual panels lifted from the graphic novels in the first one. Mm-hmm. But to my knowledge, that the whole Nancy plotline, the Jessica Alba thing, was yeah. that even in the comic books? Yeah, the... There's only two uh, adapted pieces in the in this one. The uh, the opening credits, uh, the pre-credit uh, scene with Marv. That's uh, a long Saturday night. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Or just another Saturday night. That was from the graphic novel and the Game to Kill Force on the graphic novels. The uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt story and the Nancy Callahan story was created for the movie. And I and when I left the theater, I said I don't remember reading the the Nancy storyline in the graphic novel and it felt completely out of place like Mm -hmm. that 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 was the worst one for me and that's what left a bad taste in my mouth because they saved that one for last pretty much and i thought that that whole segment was just terrible it was to me it was almost laughably bad like how she kept seeing hardigan's ghost or whatever looking over her and then we still have the narration from bruce willis and it's like why is he in this movie and why would (laughs) a ghost be narrating it if he's (laughs) why do we need this and then how she decides to hack her face up for some reason and the only reason that i can come up with is because it's gonna look cool with with the uh black and white Mm. they wanted to give her the marv look 
And it just, none of that works. Plus, the timeline's all screwy. Because there's parts of this movie that take place after the f- the first one, but yeah. Marv's still alive. Well, it's that, but, that's similar structure-wise to the original, where uh, this one, the Callahan story, is after the first Sin City. Right, so, but so Marv should have been the, dead in that. The Dane to Kill, well, in the original Sin City, Marv was still around when uh, when uh, Harry was still around, and uh, so the the Marv scene from the original uh, sequence from the original occurred after uh, Harry died. So, uh, oh, okay. Spoiler if you never saw the original Sin City, but no, you had nine years. I, I thought I thought that because it was four years, because this takes place four years after Hardigan dies. And I thought for mm-hmm. sure that Marv Marv should have been dead by that point. Right. Again, spoiler alert for the first yeah. one. I mean, I know I read A Dame to Kill For. That was one of my favorite uh, books in the series. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that that was prequel. And I knew that Dwight in this one was Josh Brolin, whereas he's Clive Owen in the other one because of the, the uh, plastic surgery that he gets in the interim. Right. And I was so pumped to see uh, Dwight and Marv teaming up and taking yeah. out, you know, taking some ba- some bad people out. Yeah. And even that, to me, was like, it was just too little. There was not enough there yeah, for me so, to really yeah, latch on to. You're so accustomed with Marv and his abilities. It's like, it's like it's Marv being Marv. It's like with The Walking Dead, it's like narrow being narrow. Yeah. So you like to expect that. So, but, um, I just wanted more. I, I didn't, the action, I, I wanted more of the action. I wanted it to be it does nothing in this movie feels fresh. Like with the first one, you have all these unique characters and there were like mm-hmm. uh like those uh, mercenaries that were going after Dwight, and then you have the Benicio del Toro and the crooked cops. Yeah. And you have all these kind of secondary characters in the first one that each have their own unique personalities and they feel like there could be a whole story based around that that character mm. but in this one i felt none of that and there yeah. are some small characters like there's the ray liotta character but they're, they're in it for such a short amount of time and they feel so bland to me mm. that, that it just none of that stuff was working yeah yeah it's and like uh, you gotta only... wonder if uh, miller and rodriguez actually went back and watched the originals to at least tie things together properly because i'm not even sure they even covered well enough why dwight had to fully go through plastic surgery because no, I don't. I don't think like they he really... doesn't. He, it's not spoiling anything to say he doesn't look like uh, Clive Owen yet no, <laughs> when no. that when that so, piece ends. <laughs> but yeah, so he's going to have to go through some more plastic surgery at some point because in the in the first one, uh, what's her name Rosario Dawson's character didn't even recognize him. Uh, she she did. And she actually addressed him uh, as Dwight in the first one. Yeah, yeah. When he was uh, when he was uh, chasing after the uh, chasing after Benicio and company, and then he basically uh, like, "Hey, don't worry yourself, Dwight. We got this." So. Uh, I, for some reason, I thought that she didn't recognize him in the first one. Oh, uh, she didn't recognize him in this one at first. So. Yeah, I don't know. It yeah. just uh, it felt really long too. It dragged. The, the middle was just dragging like crazy. And I, I'm looking on IMDb. If this is accurate, it's only 102 minutes long. Yeah. But, man, it just felt like it was taking forever. And the 
the Joseph Gordon-Levitt storyline, what was that? What was the point of that? You know, I thought it was going somewhere, and he was a cool mm-hmm. character. I liked him as a character. He was he was kind of a badass, but the way that they ended it was so yeah. anticlimactic, and it just and so abrupt, and I'm just like, okay, what was the point of any of that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the other thing I can come up with... to establish how badass uh, Rourke is, uh, Powers yeah. Booth. But but we already knew that, you know. Yeah. We are, we knew that from the first one, and the other things that he does in this one, we know that Powers Booth is an evil son of a bitch, you know, mm-hmm. in, in this series. So to inject this other storyline with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, I just I don't. Yeah, the whole the whole angle of uh, the Levitt's character, uh, the background of his character, seems kind of forced in a way. Instead of being like a shocking revelation, you're like, eh, all right. Kind of like, uh, don't want to give away the title because you might already know, but there's a certain uh, science fiction film where someone found out they had a relative that mm. was never existing mm. <laughs> for the, yeah. the, 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 the inception of the series. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, none of that, none of that stuff worked. Um, fortunately, I thought the a Dame to Kill for, you know, the, the main part of this movie was... The best part, I I pretty much hated the Joseph Gordon-Levitt stuff and the Nancy stuff. Not for performances or anything like that. I just didn't find that the story, that these subplots were, there was anything to them. They felt extraneous, they felt tacked on, and I could have done without them. The, the stuff with Josh Brolin, though, I did mostly like that storyline. I thought that Ava Green was probably one of the best uh, pulled out one of the best performances of this movie she was just oh she was just so evil a bitch yeah she was just so <laughs> evil in this and how it was it was almost like she had some sort of uh she was like a vampire that could glamour men mm. you know she mm. uh, how, how she was like she so quickly got control of christopher maloney's character of mort <laughs> yeah and that that whole thing I thought ended really oddly as well. Yeah, that one that actually kind of confused me a bit because um, I think um, Jeremy Piven was in that final scene with Chris Maloney, right? I believe. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember if I might be confused, but I think Jeremy Piven replaced Michael Madsen's character from the original. I guess Madsen was oh, available, be. and if if he was in fact Madsen's character from the original, then something is totally screwed up in the continuity. Uh, I thought that uh, that um, uh, what's his name that replaced Michael Clark Dunn, uh, De- Dennis Haysbert. Yeah. I thought he did a solid job of yeah. that of of uh, really inhabiting that character. I mean, the way that he acted was almost exactly like Michael Clark Duncan mm-hmm. as Minute in the original one. I thought he did a, a solid job. I didn't think that what's her name that replaced the Miho character. Yeah, I didn't think she was as good as the original. Mm-hmm. But eh, you know uh, that that wasn't a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. I believe um, she was pregnant at the time of shooting, so they had to replace her. The original was uh, the original. By, the original uh, Miho Devin. Right. Aoki, Aoki, yeah, Aoki, yeah. Well, um, 
Yeah, I, uh, unfortunately, it's just kind of a stinker. And the box office numbers for this yeah. are it bombed. It yeah, made it made seventy eight percent less than the than the original one wow. opening weekend. Yeah, yeah I, so, I think it's basically just from uh, audience ambivalence. They just don't care anymore. It's just again, just took too damn long to get to doing the movie. And that's the thing. I think if I honestly think that if they made this movie two years, three years after the first one, that it would have been completely different. I think that there was a lot of stuff that they had to retread in this one in order to catch people up if they haven't seen it in a while. Mm. And I think that if they just stuck with... Because how many of the graphic novels, of the stories in the graphic novels, were not covered by the movies? Was it just A Dame to Kill For? Was that the only book that wasn't covered? Um, because I know that the first one packed in a lot. I think the first one had at least four stories. The second one had two stories. So I think there are a couple more left. I can't remember which one. They said there was one that they were going to do for this one, but they said they'll save it for a later movie. But of course, now that's questionable to leave and do another movie. I don't think they'll do another movie. I don't. I think that this is the end of that. And I don't. I hope that it's not or they don't think that it's because of the style of the movie or anything like that, because mm-hmm. I, I still like the style. It looked great. I mean, there were a couple scenes that just looked the, near the end. There was a scene where Marv was just barreling through this house and he was just smashing through people in this big mansion. And the way that they did, it looked so awesome the way that they framed it. And, it was when they sometimes switch from just black and white to almost a comic book where everything is just silhouette and everything's solid, black mm-hmm. and white. Mm-hmm. They did it for just a moment. But during that scene, I was just like, wow, that looks awesome. There was a lot of uh, scenes where people were falling, too. <laughs> they showed that a yeah. lot. People <laughs> falling. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like it was too tedious. It was just the same thing over and over happening in this movie. And I love noir-style movies. I love hard-boiled, kind of detective, gritty. I love all that stuff. But I felt like this one, there just wasn't enough of that in it. It didn't feel like a noir to me. It looked like one, but it didn't have that feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, As, that's surprising considering practically the entire same creative team is behind it. It's just, like I said, it's like it looks like Sin City, but it just doesn't feel like I think it's the. I think it just comes down to the script. I really do. And um, I just looked it up, and Michael Madsen did play Bob in the first one, so right. he was Jeremy Piven's character. Okay, so I was thinking, yeah, maybe there is a continuity error there, or maybe there's not. I don't know. It depends where it takes place in the timeline. Because I'm like, I forgot the beginning of Sin City took place ten years earlier. Or well, that's uh, that's one thing I like about the Sin City books and the movies is that. They don't have a specific timeline. You know, they don't start at the beginning and end at the end. They jump around all over the place. And I like that because it helps establish the the characters in a really unique way. And it helps us understand, like, when we first see Marv, we don't start at the beginning. You know, we just see this, like, hulking brute of a man who clearly has problems. And then as the film progresses, we get to, we learn more about what, made him be this way and so I, I like that but I just feel like in this one 
if the plot was so terrible and boring and mm-hmm. <laughs> I just I wasn't on board with it no matter how they structured it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just I really can't get over that Nancy storyline. I just I could not stand it. I just hated it. So yeah, much. that was probably probably the most uh, generic one. I mean, I'm sure they could have really given it some more uh, like Frank Miller Sin City type flair. Really it just felt silly to me. Like it was almost laughable. Some of the some of the line, some of the dialogue in that, oh, it was just eh, just terrible. I wanted to ask you about Stacy Keach's character in mm-hmm. this. Uh, yeah, I don't remember who that is. It's what, like I know I know what, what character he that? was, but I'm like, where was he in the graphic novel? Like I don't remember that. So I don't. I just and you only what, see him what once. What's going on with that? <laughs> yeah, you only see him for like thirty seconds. And you wouldn't even know that's him unless you paid attention to the opening credits when they now, actually who show was, who they play. Who yeah. was the? Oh, never mind. That was uh, Rucker Hauer. Rucker Hauer played the the cardinal in the first yeah. one. Yeah, who was uh, Elijah Wood's daughter? Yeah. Um, See, and that's the thing. You had in the first one, you have the cardinal. You have the crazy Elijah Wood character. Mm-hmm. Each scene of that movie was so different and there were so many colorful characters i know i said that before but i'm reiterating it, yeah also like uh, movie, reiterating was like a felt every time powers booth kept after we first he first mentions that his kid was the big yellow bastard then they keep coming back to it several times we know that he was your kid we know you don't have to keep telling us that yeah and he had it's that like giant... you know cal you know Callahan knows that was your kid you don't need to tell her and that giant uh, portrait of him. Yeah. And again, I think that that's something that they wouldn't have had to do if they made this movie a year or two or three after the first one. Because that, that was the other interesting thing about the, the first Sin City was that they, they didn't hold your hand through getting to know these characters. There was almost no exposition, despite the movie being largely uh, told through voiceover. In the first one, they just leave it up to you to figure out how these people are connected and who, like, the, the different relationships and things like that. Mm-hmm. There was no hand-holding through, through the first one at all. They yeah, just... yeah. This one, you already know who the characters are, and then there are a couple other characters to come in. But outside of Dwight and Nancy Callahan, there really isn't much going on with all these other characters. <laughs> Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. character development wise, I mean, sure we find out how a dude, what how how much of a badass he is, how he end up looking like he looked in the first one, and stuff like that. But just character development wise, there's like they're pretty much the same people. I also felt like this one was way more tame than the first one. The first one was so brutally violent, but at the mm-hmm. same time, it just felt everything felt badass. I'm reminded of yeah. the scene when there's like a gearing up scene when Marv is uh, picking out his gloves and all that stuff when he's going to go, go after um, the Cardinal and just that scene alone, when they cut to the picture of like the gloves and stuff and it just felt so you just knew, you knew shit was about to get real. Uh And the level of violence in the first one was out of control like shocking at times. And in this one, I feel like that they just dialed everything down. I felt like, yes, Ava Green was nude throughout almost the entire movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know how necessary that was, but 
the level of violence other than there's a the scene when Miho goes kind of crazy and a lot of arrows being shot through people's yeah, faces. A lot of arrows <laughs> to the point where like, yeah, this is getting boring. Yeah. That's the thing. It was just, it got boring. I mean, the first couple times you're like, Oh, that's cool. But again, in the first one, they showed people getting shot in the face mm-hmm. with arrows in the first and, one. And then in many cases, they actually made you laugh. <laughs> this one was like, hmm, arrow to the head, arrow to the face. The but only, yeah, like the only really probably shocking moment was the the uh, the scene with Minute, and even oh. that was just such a quick, just a quick thing. I mean, when you look at the first one, you're just like, holy crap. I mean, the scene yeah. when Benicio Del Toro gets his hand cut off, and he's like, puts it in his mouth, and just there's so much stuff going on in the first one where you're just like, this movie is insane. And I feel like everything in this one was, it was just dull. It was not nearly as exciting or yeah. cool. Again, it's since he had the benefit of being new, we've never really seen a film come out looking quite like that. I mean, there was Sky Captain, but uh, that was all mostly shot on blue screen or green screen or whatever, but that wasn't, I yeah. don't think that was based on a graphic novel or anything. No, I don't, but, I don't um, count that. But uh, since then, he basically was like panel for panel adaptation, so, so but I and think I will, this, I will this say, one's probably improvising. So. And I will say again that it wasn't that I was tired of the look of this movie. It was just that there was no substance to it. It was just boring to me. Mm. And now that now that we've been talking about it, when I reviewed this, I gave it a five out of ten. But now that, you're, now you're that going we're lower. Talk, yeah, <laughs> now that we're talking it over, I'm thinking that I want to go lower. I mean, there were I pretty much gave it a five out of ten on visuals alone because I think it did it did look great. And there were a couple action scenes that were that were pretty badass, mostly with Marv, pretty much all with Marv actually. Mm. So I mean that that's one thing to say. If you really liked Marv in the first one, there's a lot more of him in this one. Yeah, and a younger Marv. So. Yeah, yeah, he looks significantly different in this one. But yeah, that's it. That's. Sin City didn't kill four. What are you going to give this out of ten? I'd give it about a five and a half. Maybe a five. Probably close to a five and a half. I mean, there's stuff I like the look I loved, and there's some some of the stories I liked, and then some for me just kind of dragged on. So, again, for me, it's like half a good movie, half a social movie. Yeah, it was funny. Like, uh, when I went into this, I didn't read any reviews because I knew I was going to be writing a review and talking about it on the show. But I did see it's inevitable in what we do that you'll see tweets or, you know, a score on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever. So I knew that it wasn't being very well received. And when the movie first started, I was like, okay, I'm into this. I don't know what they're talking about. This is pretty cool. Mm. But then as it went on and on and on and on, I was just like, all right, now now I get it. Now I see what's going on here. Mm. (laughs) So there you have it. Sin City, a dame to kill for. Pretty much a, a slog to get through. Any final thoughts on Sin City? Uh, well, at the beginning of the year, it was like my second most anticipated movie after the Raid 2. And as it turns out, the Raid 2 is one of my favorites of the year. Sin City, not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember if this was one of my most anticipated but I was very excited for it. I loved the first one. I loved the books. 
I even have the Sin City board game. I was there's a so board obsessed. game. Yeah, there's a board game. Yeah. Wow. I was obsessed with with this movie. That when the DVD for the first one came out, they had different covers, and oh. I bought like four different copies of the DVD so I could get each of the different covers on it. Did you so, uh, see it in two D or three? I saw it in two D. I didn't. I didn't care to see it in three D. Mm. Did you? Did you, you saw it in three D? Yeah, it was, it's on a three D. It was actually good. It really gave the uh, comic book look to it more more dimensionality. Like if you took a yeah. two D cartoon, and made it in three dimensions. So I could tell that there were some things that they added in to kind of make the three D pop. Like there was one scene I remember when a tire was flying mm. out. And... Yeah, the uh, scene where Levitt's dealing the cards and he actually throws a couple towards the screen. I remember. That was distinctly popping. That scene was cool, but you could tell that it was CG, and, mm. and that bothered me when he was dealing out the cards. It was like this clearly CG cards that are being dealt, and that for some reason that pulled me out of it. But hmm. he was he was a really cool character, though. Um, it's a real shame that they didn't do anything with that character because they were setting it up. You know, they were setting yeah. it up to be he gets knocked down, he gets back up, and against all odds he's he's gonna go up against Rourke and but man they just fell flat didn't do anything with it extremely disappointed and I think that that's that's just where it is for me it's a huge disappointment yeah we would like to see them do more of the source material before trying to create new material well that's that's what didn't work the new material is what didn't work I think the source material is fine the a Dame to Kill For storyline, I thought was fine. Yeah, I remember Dame to Kill For was the biggest one. I think that was just one one book, and then the other yeah, one was just a collection of stories. So, so hopefully, yeah. if they do do another one, it'll probably be on a lower budget. But hopefully, they'll just finish off the graphic novels, and that should be it. What about uh, Josh Hartnett's character? He was such a cool character in the first one. I you was, get to I see was him. half expecting him to show up again. And, That's uh, what I thought. I thought for sure they were going to expand on that. Like he'll like show up at the end, and somehow someone took a called him on uh, Nancy or something. Yeah, I don't know. I think it'd be cool. I mean, he is in what you call it with Ava Green, uh, Penny Dreadful. Mm, yeah, they're both in that show together. So, um, all right, there you have it, Ernie. Thanks again so much for taking some time to talk with me. Sure. All right, let's talk about Frank. Oh, boy. So this is directed by Lenny Abramson. I have a synopsis here. John, a young wannabe musician, discovers he's bitten off more than he can chew when he joins an eccentric pop band led by the mysterious and enigmatic Frank. This stars Domino Gleason, Scoot McNary, Maggie Gyllenhaal, and Michael Fassbender. Kevin, what oh. did you think of Frank? We do have a review for this up on the site. Ernie actually reviewed this uh, this week. He gave an eight out of ten. So, what are you? Ooh. What are you thinking of Frank here? Oh, I'll keep the the number until the oh, yeah. end. I want to build. Oh up yeah, we got to do that, of course. So everyone's waiting for that number. But uh, is it weird that I was really excited that Scoot McNary was no, in this? Not any, I didn't no, know not that anymore because Scoot McNary is awesome. <laughs> I had no idea that he was in this movie, and then all of a sudden he pops up. I'm like, is that? Wait a second. Is that Scoot McNary? Is that him? And then I just I was so happy, but uh, I guess back to the film. This was a this is an odd one. This is an odd <laughs> one. <laughs> um, I enjoyed it. 
But at the same time, there's some like really dark stuff in here, and I'm not quite sure that it's handled correctly. Well, there's one, and it sort of sort of makes me uncomfortable. There's one thing in particular that happens, and it come it seemingly comes out of nowhere, and it was just like, what? Wait a minute, what? And yeah. uh, and then they just move on. They come back they, to it later yeah. a little bit, but yeah, I, I will agree with you. I do. I did. Yeah, I know. So it's one of those things that I, I don't know if I've had enough time to digest this one yet. I mean, just my initial reaction right after watching is I did enjoy it. I did find it to be pretty funny. Um, I loved the character of Frank. I loved the music, especially the song at the end. That's like my new favorite song. <laughs> that there's a song about liking someone's wall. It's fantastic. Um, just the way that uh, Fossbender would act was fantastic i had problems again with the twitter bullshit being in there and him gleason incessantly narrating his blog posts or whatever that really took me that out was of it part of the movie though like the fact that we know that, he, know. that that's what made them you know big and end up going to austin and all that which again that felt a little forced to the south by southwest stuff yeah i don't i don't know why it just felt off to me. Um, I thought... Could, what do you well, think? Okay, so in the trailer, they show that. They show, like, oh, we're going to South by Southwest. And I, I was thinking, oh, it's one of those, you know, where they're kind of promoting this festival. But when they went to Austin, I felt like there was a lot more going on there than just South by Southwest. They really only showed South by Southwest for pretty brief amount of time but the other stuff that happened in austin i think was it overshadowed that so it didn't really bother me too much uh i like this movie a lot and it was the end that really brought everything together for me yeah the end did make up for a lot of i thought that i i i it was very interesting where they took i wanted more Frank, I wanted more interaction with Frank because I love that character and I think that he was so funny like everything that he would say. I would love how he would describe the his facial expressions. <laughs> I thought that that stuff was hilarious and I felt like there there wasn't enough interaction with Frank. No, there needed to be more Frank. And I'm not I'm not necess- I, I thoroughly I thoroughly enjoyed music frank too when he would sing his songs there's just stream of consciousness just ridiculousness i love those songs i want to hear more of them i thought he sounded like the guy from talking heads (laughs) a little bit yeah now so this i didn't know this but this is actually based on a, a real guy i know yeah which i would i know nothing about yeah and i didn't know Going I'm, into this, I'm immediately interested yeah. in this. I, di- I didn't know who this guy was. I feel it's funny because I remember when this premiered, I think that it premiered at, I want to say TIFF. It wasn't Sundance. I think it was TIFF. But wherever it premiered, I remember seeing the, the picture of the head. And I remember thinking to myself, I've seen that head before. But I didn't know where it was from. And apparently, it is based on. Frank Sidebottom, who I don't know anything about. So I yeah, think and I want to learn everything now. So he did have a band called the Freshies and 
I need to find all their music immediately. I did watch a couple YouTube clips with him. Yeah, oh, yeah. So you can check check it out on YouTube. I kind of wish that I knew about that before going into this. Maybe I would feel a little bit differently about it. Yeah. But same here. What I wanted to ask you is what you thought about kind of where the story goes because we start with Donald Gleason, who's this aspiring musician. He meets up with this very experimental group, and then he tries to create his own stuff. They're not having it. And then eventually he starts influencing Frank to change his music to be more accessible. And it, it ultimately backfires. And I don't want to get in, into anything more than that, but... I wanted to get your take because yeah. you you like this kind of experimental music. And I wanted <laughs> to get your take on what you thought of how it was portrayed in this movie. Because it, in one sense, to me, it felt like it was poking fun at that kind of music. But then at the, it feels like it almost takes a twist. And it's like, you know what? You should just be yourself and express yourself how you want to. So I was wondering what your take was on how you know, how this story progresses with the music. For me, it was, like I said, it was kind of, it's a bit confusing, like the the way that I felt about this film. Because in the beginning, there's all this talk about, you know, most of these guys met each other in a mental institution. So you know that they have problems, that, you know, they're suffering from something. And the fact that you're, you know, he meets up with the band when a guy's trying to kill himself. And then something else happens, and it seems like every single keyboardist in this band commits suicide at some point in time, or tries to at least. So I'm feeling kind of uncomfortable, like laughing at them and being entertained by their by their zany antics. But much like you said, the, the end of the film where they take it to really, really saved a lot of it, really redeemed it for me. Because I, you know how they were just sort of talking about... Um, the music like slows him down Mm -hmm. and gives him something to focus on and sort of gives him purpose, which I thought was nice because when you finally get to meet the real Frank without the paper mache head, it was kind of, well, it was extremely depressing. (laughs) Yeah, it it is extremely depressing. It's depressing, but at the same time, it's, it's somewhat heartwarming too, in a way. Yes. Yes. And, And I don't want to say anything more about what happens, but I was extremely pleased with how it turned out. Uh, I thought that... See, it, it sort of brings everything into focus yeah. for you. And you're like, ah, oh, I got you now. Now, what did you think as far as the music and what what it was trying to say with the music and all that stuff? What was your, what was your take on that? I loved, uh, I loved the music. Uh, I, kind of... I loved it. I loved every, I loved every minute of it. Love that music. It's good stuff. Don't, don't you? Do you think that the filmmakers it. were kind of poking fun at that kind of music, though? Yeah, they could be. Which is rude. I mean, they're mentally handicapped. <laughs> Jerk. Uh, I thought Maggie Gyllenhaal was really funny in this. I I thought that I did love. I, I love their exchange in the the hot tub. Yeah. When she's trying, <laughs> he's like, "I can't hear you over the bubbles." <laughs> and you just re- and she pushes the button, and he's he's like, "You just reset it. <laughs> now it's gonna start all over." a lot of the things that she says are really funny like when she they were they were having an altercation in the kitchen and she says someone needs to punch you in the face 
<laughs> yes. And the uh, don't touch my fucking theremin line. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of little quotables in this movie. A lot of little one-liners that you could little throwaway lines that you can toss out that are really funny. Like when uh, Frank was talking about. Wait, was he? I think he was talking about Scoop McNary, where he says uh, that's that's his favorite place. Yeah, he goes. I, I think he says that that's his favorite place in the world, other than Sea World, San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! And that scene uh, in the desert was really funny too. I I enjoyed that one. It was a bit uh, pulled a bit too much from other movies. Well, but... one one movie specifically, but <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty enjoyable nonetheless. Now the I'm imagining you sort of touched on it earlier that something sort of came out of left field for you and you were like, you know, what what the hell's going on here? The dark turn. What did you think of that? I don't want to say it felt out of place because we knew that again these people had problems. But man, I feel like I'm treading too too closely into spoilers <laughs> for this. But um. I'm, I'm trying I just, to word it. I, I had a problem with how it just it just pops up out right. of nowhere, and you're really taken aback. It's you know very dark turn, but like you said, you do understand that they have problems and they're dealing with things. But then they sort of just leave it. Well, yeah, that's what I, that's what I was saying at the beginning, on. where they they leave it, they just leave it, and then they come back to it a little bit. And it's like, oh well, that happened South by Southwest, and you're like, wait, what? Kind of a flippant attitude towards this really dark turn that you decided to take. Yeah, but maybe that's just how those people are. I mean, clearly they have very poor social skills. They seem pretty much in their own little world. And I do love how they first revealed how he was there for 11 months. <laughs> where they showed him writing and then he puts the thing down. He has this giant beard. <laughs> Uh, I thought that was really funny. Oh, boy. He's like, we've been rehearsing for 14 hours a day. For 11 months. <laughs> I was looking forward to that album, too. I don't think... Did they ever record anything? I don't know. Well, <laughs> like, they, they rehearsed for... I don't think they recorded anything. He though. did say, we're, at, we're finally at our first day of recording, but I don't know what happened there. If... <laughs> I, I, uh, my favorite scene was... Um, Frank's most likable song. <laughs> you can see that in the trailer. It's uh, it's quite funny. One of my one of my favorite scenes was the shower scene. <laughs> I, thought the, I thought the shower scene was really funny. Yeah, you learn that he has backup heads. Yeah. It's a good idea. It is a good idea. Yeah, they're fan- they were they were quite well made. I wonder who was making those. Did he learn how to make them himself? Well, they said his dad made the first one. Yeah, but I doubt his dad made the rest yeah. of them. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he who learned how to do it. And when you see the real Frank, the, the <laughs> one that this is based on, it looks the exact same. Oh, really? Yeah, Frank Sidebottom, the exact same head. Well, I must say that it did a fantastic job of me getting me instantly interested. And Frank Sidebottom. Also, kudos to Michael Fassbender for not taking the Hollywood route and showing his face every five minutes. 
if only if only superhero <laughs> movies would do this where it, it literally is a guy that never takes the head off so yeah it's michael fassbender but <clears throat> he's wearing the head the whole time pretty much except at the end but even at the end he doesn't his head's like always down yeah i don't know if that's a, yeah you know what i mean like i he didn't want to i didn't want to give he, that away but he's he sort of embodies the the character which i think he did a fantastic job in this because the whole time you're kind of thinking to yourself like is that really him because it doesn't sound yeah, like him. It doesn't a, look yeah, like him. Yeah, he has an interesting accent in this. And you're just like, is it really him under there? Pretty much everything he said, though, made me laugh. I, I th- every single thing he said. <laughs> that's why. Laugh. That's why I said, like, I'm not knocking the movie when I say I wanted more Frank. It's not. I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying that I wanted more Frank because he was such an awesome character that I want more of him in this. Yes. I thought that the other. Correct. The French characters were non... They didn't really do anything with those characters. No, they didn't really seem... There was really no need for them. Unless the whole point of them was to just be... Unless the point of it was for them to be these other characters that never talk and are just kind of in the periphery the whole time. There was one scene that the one French woman was involved with, but I... Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there yeah. was that. But that one scene was really the only thing that she did in the whole movie. Either way, I do recommend Frank. It is it's a very weird movie. The way that it's there's just a lot of weird shit going on in this movie, which I love. <laughs> I love anything that's kind of kooky and wacky. Uh, and there's a lot of that. It's got a it's got a tons, very tons odd tone to it. That's it, it's very funny, but at the same time it does go to some very dark places and that ending oh, i just i loved it that because for me that end was the difference between giving this movie probably a six and a half and giving it something like a seven and a half or an eight yeah like i said and i'll say it again it really um really pulled it all together for me yep i agree I well, there you it. go I, I love that song too i like your wall <laughs> I wonder if they have the soundtrack for Frank released. I bet I would imagine they do. I hope so. I'll, I'll be putting that. If if not, I would just rip it all I'll, off. I'll put that that song on the end of the show. <laughs> oh, I love that song. All right. So, what are you gonna give Frank out of ten? Mm, man, holy shit! I just I'm looking at pictures of Frank's side bottom, and there's one where he's shaking Chuck Norris's mm-hmm. hand. And it says, thank you, Chuck Norris. Wow. Um, I give this a, oh boy, seven and a half, eight, seven and a half, eight, something like that. That's actually where I'm sitting to, somewhere between a seven and a half and an eight. It's it's a tough one, but. Yeah, like I said, it, I haven't really had enough time to. Yeah, same here. Everything. Same here. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'll go how eight. I feel. I'll 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 say eight. Okay. Because I just thought it was really Balls. funny. It made me laugh a lot, and I thought that the it was a very touching movie at the end, which I didn't expect. And yeah, yeah, we'll go, we'll go eight. All right. You going eight? There you go. Also, I didn't really like Donald Gleason's character. Throw that out. I'll, I'll no, throw that I out didn't. there. Yeah, no. Quick. No. Like I said, he he irritated the shit out of me with his constant 
Twitter updates. I think he was and... supposed to be kind of a tool, though. And yeah, I know, I know, I know. I just could have done without all the the narration, constant blog posting. Oh, stop it. Well, I still think you should check out Frank. It is, I think, playing in select yeah. cities uh, right now. All right, let's move on to some predictions. We have sure. Sin City a Dame to Kill for. You said 58. I said 62. Actual 43. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Mm. It's unfortunate. That's rough. Next week, we have As Above, So Below. What the fuck is this? It is a horror what movie. What is this? But but why? It's like a horror movie. And I think, how? I, I think it's at least partially found footage i don't know if it's all found footage that's that's essentially the what the question that i was asking hey it has the guy from frank which guy the the french band member that didn't talk really at oh all. okay francois civil well it does take place in france it takes place in paris i guess it's about a group of people that go into those catacombs underneath, catacombs. underneath paris where all the millions of bodies are buried <laughs> The only way out is down. And they start seeing some crazy stuff. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I don't know. It's probably not going to be very good. What are you thinking on As Above, So Below? Terrible name, by the way. That, yes. That is an awful title. Correct. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say 20. I will say 36. And we also have The November Man. Oh, yeah. What's up? Which was announced this week that the sequel what is, the... Uh, is already... <laughs> I forgot. I wanted to ask you about that. So the sequel is yeah. already in pre-production. Okay. First one hasn't even come out yet. Currently, is, currently standing is... at a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is a ballsy move. It is a ballsy move, especially when the first one looks so generic. Mm-hmm. It looks like it should have come out in 1996. Yes. Yes, it does. I will say 20 on the November Man. Ooh, I'm going to say 15. It is by the guy that did Cadillac Man. <laughs> Cadillac Man. Cadillac Man. I actually liked Cadillac Man back in the day. I remember not liking it. But good stuff from Robin Williams. Yeah, that was, a, that was another Robin Williams one. That was good stuff right there. I think that might have been one of the first R-rated movies I ever saw. Really? I think so. It was up there. It was one of the first. Uh, next week in limited release, we have Starred Up, The Congress, Life of Crime, which is the, uh, what you call it, Jackie Brown prequel, I want to say. <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah pre- it, prequel. I was going to say, I feel like you should know that. It's a prequel. Looks terrible. It doesn't look very good to me, but... Uh, it looks like a terrible idea. Yeah. The Calling... Uh, Jamie Marks is dead. Now that's the okay. title. There you go. Jamie Marks is dead. That premiered at Sundance. I didn't see it there, but uh, I talked to some people that saw it, and they were not not too keen on it. But kind of kind of ripping off that Paulie Shore movie. <laughs> Never saw that. I wanted to see that, but heard it was good. Uh, the strange color of your body's tears. Oh boy, check that one out. And the damned. Don't don't check out the damned. No, that just sounds generic as all hell. It is. 
Um, next week on Video On Demand, we have Leprechaun Origins. About fucking time. The WWE reboot of the classic Leprechaun series. Yes. Starring Hornswoggle. <laughs> what? WWE superstar Hornswoggle. Wait, like that's his wrestling name? Yeah. Why? I don't know, because he's a little he's a little person and he's being exploited. Oh, okay. Uh, we also have Sono Profondo, which is that uh, Giallo throwback movie. I'll be checking that one out. The Possession of Michael King, which I think we talked about last week. Startup, which is Jack O'Connell. Very interested in this one. I'll be checking this one out also. Same here. I'm very interested in this one. Jack O'Connell, I'll, I'll tell you, he's going places. He's in like maybe three or four movies that are coming out this year. And he's, since I first saw him on Skins, I was like, that that kid is going to be big someday. He is so good in everything he's in. So I'm I'm really excited to see that. But I think Ben Mendelsohn's in that too, right? Plays his dad. That's all I need to hear. Yeah. Uh, also, The Two Faces of January. I don't know too much about that. Life of Crime, and Last Weekend on Video On Demand. DVD and Blu-ray next week, we have Blended. It's exciting. Blended. <laughs> oh, boy. Can't wait. A little bit of the old Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore action. You know It's a three-peat. Gonna, you know uh, Ryan's going to be watching that at some point. Oh, sure. There. Oh, yeah. That, it also seems like the type of movie that he would watch... On his own time. He might. He might already <laughs> He probably seen already saw it, actually. Uh, we also have The Double. Definitely check that out. Richard Aote's The Double. Blood Glacier. That was a disappointment for me. I was really excited for that movie, but very much... It's pretty much just a remake of the thing. The Possession of Michael King and Sono Profondo. Some, some solid movies in there. Yeah. Any Criterions next week? Uh, we have two. We have Vengeance is Mine from 1979. And we have All That Jazz by Bob Fosse. Uh-oh. Well, Fosse. Uh, this is a double 1979, both movies from 1979. All That Jazz. So get your jazz hands up. They're already up. You can't see it. But they're, <laughs> they're already waving. <laughs> shuffle, shuffle, jazz box. <laughs> uh, all That Jazz. All there right. you go. Well, I think that that will wrap it up. Send us your questions <laughs> to podcastfilmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. Oh, Madrid, it's nice to see you. It's really nice to be here. I Fatlock smoked out cowpoke sequined mountain ladies I love you all Put your arms around me fiddly digits itchy britches One about the young boy discovering a colorful wish granny rock? <laughs> <laughs>